Mount Tom is an elevation. It's what about? Roughly, I think it's 1,356 or something, but let's call it somewhere in that range. And that's up to the, what is not where most people hike, but that's up to the North Peak. And so that's where you find the little National Survey marker is on top of a big rock on the top of the North Peak. And North Peak is the, which is the tallest, the North or South? That's the tallest, tallest. yeah. South Peak is where most people hike to and think they've gone to the peak. You're listening to Happy Vermont, a podcast about places you love in the Green Mountain State. I'm Erica Housekeeper. Mount Tom in Woodstock isn't a particularly tall mountain, but its environmental legacy, easy public access, and central place in the community are monumental. Mount Tom is where you'll find miles of trails, beautiful views, a shining mountaintop star, old carriage roads, a cabin built by the Girl Scouts in the 50s, and the Marsh Billings Rockefeller National Historic Park. It's the only national park in Vermont. Mount Tom is also where the American environmental movement was essentially born 160 years ago. When I think about forests or natural areas that are a centerpiece of a community, I can't think of many that are actual mountains. I mean, yes, you have Mount Mansfield and Stowe, you have J. Peak and J., Mount Equinox in Manchester, and Burke Mountain in East Burke. These are big mountains that towns closely identify with. But Mount Tom is different, and I wanted to find out a little bit more about what makes this place special. One of the nicest things about Mount Tom is that you don't need to drive to it to access the trails. You can get there on foot easily to a national park, no less, from Woodstock Village. You can walk to the trailheads from Mountain Avenue, River Street, or from the entrance of the Marsh Billings Park on Route 12. I learned in putting this episode together that Mount Tom is kind of a complicated place. It has multiple landowners with different parcels, each having their own feel and identity. The owners include the National Park Service, the Town of Woodstock, and the Faulkner Trust. The Vermont Land Trust also owns King Farm on the southwestern part of the mountain. In December, I went to Billings Park on Mount Tom to meet with Randy Richardson, who grew up in South Woodstock. Randy works as the development director for the Upper Valley Trails Alliance. That's a local nonprofit that advocates for the maintenance, development, and use for trails in the region. He also chairs Woodstock's Billings Park Commission to help manage trails on Mount Tom that are owned by the town. Randy spent time exploring Mount Tom's trails as a child, and today he lives at the base of Mount Tom. He hikes the trails several days a week. Here's Randy. Mount Tom was literally, I'd say this frequently, but it was literally the first place that I remember hiking. And so the, and it was actually the Faulkner Trail. And so when I think about like climbing a mountain, somewhat put in quotes because Mount Tom's fairly small, but you know, for a, for a little kid, it felt like a huge peak. So hiking to the top of Mount Tom was a huge accomplishment and something I did with my family when I was really little. So that I just have vivid memories of both the excitement and Somewhat, it's kind of fascinating with Faulkner Trail, but somewhat the excitement and also the frustration as a little kid because it's a switchback trail. And so you want to cheat all the time. And so, so some of that, but being able to climb on the rocks and the huge trees and then seeing the view at the top and everything. And so that was part of my early memory of being addicted to the outdoors and hiking. Trails have been a part of your life yeah, for a long I, time. I mean, it was- 
it was imbued in me by both my parents who loved being outdoors and hiking and really being in South Woodstock and sort of loving the woods and the streams and the fields in South Woodstock. And my father worked at what was at the time called the Woodstock Country School. And it was actually in addition to being a boarding school private boarding school. It was also a working farm. So we worked on the farms and we're in the woods. And I literally walked across through the cow fields to get to my bus to take it into school and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, so we just fell in love with being outside in Vermont and nature and farms and all of that. You're now development director at the Upper Valley Trails Alliance. Correct. So how long have you been with? So I started in 2016, which is kind of hard to believe because it feels like time's just flown by. But yeah, so I started in 2016 and I work as development director, which means my primary responsibility is I'm in charge of helping to raise the funds because we have to raise literally our entire budget every year. It's the nature of a nonprofit and what we do. But then I also do kind of everything because we're only a staff of four full-time people. And so that means that I'm involved with everything from building trails to working with our youth programs, particularly our um, high school trail corps. And so getting outside, and that's really what I wouldn't have taken the job unless a significant portion of it was also going to be outside so, and working on trails. And that's what attracted me to it was both helping to spread the word, improve trails, maintain, sustain trails, and particularly increasing access to trails throughout the Upper Valley. And that's really what we do and what our focus is. And so that's what I do at the Trails Alliance. Was there ever a time where like tr- you weren't really able to explore trails or? Yeah. And that's sort of the, a big part of what brought me to the Trails Alliance was I'm actually a career educator. So I, I was a teacher and a coach and then eventually actually ran schools. So I did that for over 30 years. And then my parents got sick, particularly my mom got sick. She actually had um, a kidney disease and I wanted to spend more time with them and was trying to figure out what I was going to do. When I found out she actually needed a new kidney, I offered my kidney and it ended up, unfortunately, in the process of getting a checkup and reviewing whether I was compatible and whether I was healthy enough to give her the kidney that I actually had cancer. And so I had a thyroid cancer And so that meant that I, rather than my mom kind of saved me instead of the other way around, my brother ended up giving his kidney to my mom, but it meant that I had to get my thyroid removed and get treatment for cancer and everything. And thankfully I'm okay now, but a big part of that was kind of all of that. My parents being, my dad got sick later too, but my parents, my mom being sick and then the thyroid cancer sort of made me reevaluate. So I continued to work for a few years running a school in Pike, New Hampshire. And then I took time off and I took a pretty significant amount of time off And because during that time, I hadn't been as connected to the outdoors and hadn't been able to get outside and exercise as much. And I just was able to just hike and with my two dogs and explore the trails. And then that process of sort of coming back, getting healthy again, kind of reconnecting fully just made me even more in love that I was hiking like a crazy amount, like 10 to 20 miles a day sometimes. And then I came to realize how many of the trails needed some work. I started to, with many failures, sort of teach myself how to do some of the work and then started to learn from other people. And that's kind of what ended up leading me back towards the Trails Alliance is combining some of my experience with fundraising and working in nonprofits with my obsession with trails and being outdoors. I read a piece that you had written talking about how being outside or being on trails, you know, has kind of helped you in in good times and in bad. 
particularly right here. And uh, the research shows, and this has certainly been my experience, and I think most people's experience, there there are a lot of people who are sort of the 4,000-footer hikers and the people who love to go to the biggest and the best places and everything. And I admire, and I've done some of that, and I get that, that focus. But the reality is that most of us are going to do most of our outdoor recreating and hiking or biking or whatever we do within a few miles of our house. And so for me, that's true. And so I'm lucky enough to live in a beautiful place and near... I had a great uncle who gave me my house in Woodstock. So I live near Mount Tom. And so that's the place where I hike. And so on any given day for me, just this time, like we're outside right now, just being connected to the outdoors and nature, it helps both mind and body for me. So it's my exercise. It's my time to get my dogs out. It's uh, And it's mentally refreshing and it's just important to me. So that I think of almost any time I can be out on the trails as a good day and a good time. And so that I make it part of my day. And it's usually an hour to two hours in the morning and then an hour to two hours in the evening for me or more if I can do it. But also during tough times, it's sort of where I find refuge. And it's a way of probably a combination of escape and also just it brings me relative peace too. So after my dad died, I remember I hiked Mount Tom to the peak. I did with my same with my mom and same with my sister who recently died. And so I either do a sunset or a sunrise hike in those moments. Right after I had my thyroid removed, I did the same thing. I couldn't do it immediately because I was too sick. But then as soon as I could, I hiked to the peak. And it's just been my kind of healing and refuge for me. Mount Tom includes vernal pools, which serve as an essential breeding habitat for certain species of wildlife like salamanders and frogs. It's also a significant deer wintering area with dense hemlock stands and northern red oak trees that provide an ideal winter habitat. Billings Park, where Randy and I met, is on the southeastern face of Mount Tom, and it's bordered by Faulkner Park and the Marsh Billings Rockefeller National Park. Today, Mount Tom is a forested, treasured, beautiful, protected place. It was a different story 160 years ago. In the 1800s, Vermont retained little of the forest land that once covered the state. Sheep farming had led to clear-cutting that produced soil-depleted slopes and silt-choked streams. And one of the keenest observers of man's misuse of this landscape was George Perkins Marsh. He was born in Woodstock in 1801. He became a lawyer, a congressman, and eventually a diplomat. And he noticed how these clear-cut slopes on Mount Tom in his hometown would change every time a hard rain fell because of the erosion. So in 1864, he wrote Man and Nature, which is widely considered the first book of the American environmental movement. Marsh's boyhood home on Mount Tom was later purchased by Frederick Billings, another environmental visionary who was deeply influenced by Marsh's book. Billings was determined to return his home state of Vermont to its natural forested beauty, Billings restored much of his new Woodstock property to forest using progressive methods and primarily eastern tree species. And that property became a national park as recently as 1992. It was given to the public by its most recent owners, Billings' granddaughter, Mary Rockefeller, and her husband, Lawrence. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you know about the history of Mount Tom and its significance? It's not my main expertise, but it is because I love the place. I've learned some about it. And 
Woodstock's unique and Mount Tom's unique in that way, partly because it has this conservation history that came from a combination of George Marsh, who then his ownership and involvement on Mount Tom and the property around Mount Tom and conservation and tree planting and really a realization because so much of Vermont had been denuded and that was leading to massive erosion problems that were then clogging and changing the rivers. So there was a kind of that early understanding of the damage that was being done that led into Billings who carried on the tradition and then his granddaughter and Lawrence Rockefeller. So really the that legacy continued. So it's, it's a unique place where the ownership of a significant portion of Mount Tom was controlled by people who all had a vision and an understanding of conservation and the importance of caring for the land that way. So it's been a relatively, definitely managed, but also protected area for a long time by Vermont standards and sort of shows that early part of the conservation movement in our country too. And it's interesting about Mount Tom because you've got different owners. You've got the National Park, you've got the town of Woodstock who owns Billings Park, and then you've got the Faulkner Trust who owns Faulkner Park and the Faulkner Trail. Would anyone notice the differences if you were walking around? Could you kind of tell, aside maybe from some signage? Yes and no. I mean, it sort of depends on where you come in and kind of where you go. But as you said, partly the kiosks and the signage and kind of the entrance into the area. But it's also true that the area that was that kind of that real legacy and the connection of the sort of Marsh, Billings, and Rockefeller, the combination of funds and kind of focused, managed forestry, and also some farming and landscaping that was done over there, the the combination of the roads and the kind of more open fields and other elements of that park really kind of stand out, whereas Billings is less managed, less controlled. There's a lot of rocky, craggy areas as part of this and things. And then Faulkner has somewhat similar to Billings, but because of the nature of that trail and also the way it was built and maintained, the trail itself is a different kind of trail because it was meant to be more accessible and more and more that way. And also some of the, the forest, there's a lot of, especially over on the bottom of the Faulkner Park. There's a lot of pretty old growth, but white pine that's not in great shape, but I kind of love the way it looks too, but it's a very pine-oriented bottom of the forest and then kind of spreads out as you go up top. So because I spend so much time here, I think of them as all being very distinct, but I think probably the biggest distinction would be just especially the way the management and the nature of the National Park, which goes back from a long legacy of having a, a managed, somewhat landscaped approach to a natural landscape for sure, but sort of a landscape approach to the property. And then you talk about the Faulkner Trail. So that's an old trail. Is that a switchback trail? How would you describe that? So it was a trail that was created by Marion Faulkner in memory of her husband, who had been, this kind of ties into what I was saying earlier about some of my tradition here too, but who had been quite sick. And I, I think it was a heart condition, but I can't remember for sure, and needed more access to be able to hike and walk. And they had traveled to Europe and in particular, I think it was a town of Baden-Baden in Germany that had kind of spa-oriented trails, which were more accessible and relatively flat, but could still give you access to beautiful natural areas. And so that was the vision for the Faulkner Trail was to create a trail that could be 
wasn't going to be fully wheelchair accessible that could be hiked by almost anybody is to have it go switch back to kind of snake up the mountain. It has to go. You're trying to maintain a grade that's around 10 percent or lower. And so that means you have to keep going back and forth and sort of slowly winding your way up the mountain to be, to be able to maintain that grade. And so it was done mostly for the accessibility and health reasons, but from a trail building standpoint, by today's standards, it's actually a really good way to build a trail because you're cross slope and it allows the water to sort of fall across the trail instead of what the problem that happens with trails where the water runs down the trail. And so it's a very well built and well designed trail in many ways. As Randy and I explored a section of Billings Park on a mild December day, he shared more about the environmental significance of Mount Tom. The Faulkner Trail is probably the most popular route to climb to the South Peak, and that's where the Mount Tom star sits. If you strolled around Woodstock on a winter evening or driven on Route 4 at night from the interstate, you've probably seen the star lit from Mount Tom. The star was originally a cross that was put up on Mount Tom in the 1940s, shortly after the end of World War II. It was put up there by employees of the Woodstock Electric Company to welcome home GIs. The cross was later converted to a star in the 1950s. In 2024, the wooden star is being replaced with a sturdier galvanized steel version with 100 LED lights. The new star will be designed to last another 100 years so it can be enjoyed for generations to come. Norm Freights moved to Woodstock in 1968 when he was a boy. He fondly remembers the comfort the lit-up star gave him throughout his childhood. He's now a member of the Woodstock Rotary, which has overseen the maintenance of the star for many years. I met Norm in his office in November. He was right in the middle of the Rotary's fundraising campaign to replace the Mount Tom star. The goal was to raise 120000 by the start of 2024. Here's Norm. The businessman who put the star up there, maintained it for many, many years. And then they turned it over to the Chamber of Commerce to run. And then in 1985, they asked the Rotary to take over. And so since then, we have kept that wooden structure. It's a very large wooden structure. And interesting, the same utility poles are in the ground. Now, most of the remain structure has been replaced over the years. And we've had a lot of local contractors and electricians that have been involved with the project since 1985. It's funny because I'm not really sure how far away you can see it because people's houses are situated. I know from my kitchen window, I can actually see it, but I don't know distance wise how far you can see it. But it's quite a ways. And you can definitely see it when you're coming in from the east going west on Route 4. It's kind of the first thing you see when you're driving and looking into Woodstock. And it's very much a symbol of community for Woodstock. It really is. The terms are unity in the community. It's a beacon of light. It's a welcome home. I hear a lot of those comments. And for me, it is. Do people seem more supportive of it now? Because it's like, oh, this is so old and we want to keep this going for the future. Like, is there sort of a, maybe a renewed sense of appreciation? Exactly. That's what I really feel, that there's a renewed sense of appreciation for the star. And, you know, we did this history of the star and so many people had no idea, no idea as to how long. They couldn't believe that it's been up there that long. The star is located on land owned by the Faulkner Trust, which owns Faulkner Park on Mount Tom. After Norm and I met, the Rotary reached its fundraising goal several weeks before Christmas. The plan is to replace the star on Mount Tom sometime around the 1st of May. 
The star is on the south peak of Mount Tom, where you can hike and find scenic views overlooking Woodstock. As Randy mentioned at the start of the interview, the highest elevation of Mount Tom is actually the mountain's north peak. The north peak is located in the town's Billings Park section of Mount Tom. It's overseen by the town's Billings Park Commission, which Randy chairs. So let's go back to my conversation with Randy at Mount Tom. Can you talk to me about what the commission does and kind of its vision for the future? The Billings Park Commission, the focus is to help sort of oversee and care for, advocate for two parks in town. It used to be just one park when it was initially founded as part of Billings Park, but then Mount Peg was added to it. So it's two parks that we help to oversee, manage, support, and advocate for. And that's really what we're trying to do. And we're trying to think of it from a conservation standpoint, outdoor recreation standpoint, educational standpoint. The idea is how to maximize the benefit of these two parks for the town. It's an all-volunteer organization with people being very busy. And frankly, even as chair, definitely not always doing what I wish and could be doing. And the work tends to vary everything from going and clearing out a blowdown that's blocking a trail of a tree to holding a meeting where we're trying to create a park plan for the future. And and sometimes it's how are we going to spend money? How are we going to fix a flood damage portion of the trail? It can be a whole range of things. Right now, we're in an exciting place where we're going to have an opportunity, thanks to the good work of people at the National Park, to sort of team up and renovate and repair some of the Billings Park trails with some funding that that's some federal funding from a FLAP grant. And so that's going to be a real focus over the course of the next year. And then there's also a lot of the speaking of the environment and what makes Mount Tom special. You know, you've got these vernal pools, you've got interesting forest stands. Can you talk a little bit about that? One thing that I always like to try and think about in my role at Trails Alliance and just as a hiker and an advocate for people getting outdoors in general is I think nature is special and beautiful everywhere. And so to me, even if you're walking down a dirt road or it's the sidewalk near your house, if there are trees and you look around and you take your time and you take in the sun and feel the wind and everything. So I just say that in general, but I do think that this is a unique and special and beautiful place. And there's people who know a lot more than I do who also say that's true. (laughs) So Steve Martello, who works at the National Park and Kent McFarland, who helped us create Create our, who's a biologist for the Center for Eco Studies who helped us create our plan, they will talk about the fact that this is a special place and it's a combination of the mix of geology. And you mentioned sort of vernal pools. There's also a dry oak forest near the peak up here that's not completely unique, but having a relatively well-preserved, fairly old dry oak forest is not common because of the logging and the way things were changed over time. So that's something that's special too. And there are other things in terms of flora and fauna. And also because of the conservation efforts and the careful attention to conservation in the national park that has somewhat spread across the mountain, but it's especially in that area, they've done some management in ways that a lot of places don't because places that where your primary focus is kind of forestry, partly to make money, whereas in mostly there, that wasn't their focus. Their focus was conservation and beautifying the area and maximizing the benefit from a conservation standpoint and has been literally for over a hundred years. And so that's a that's a relatively rare thing that has allowed for some preservation and conservation in ways that that you don't see in too many places in the state. Can you talk about the greatest threats to the trails on Mount Tom? We want to have as many people 
benefit from the trails as possible, both um, local and visitors. It is true that we've seen a significant increase, and so that's wear and tear on the trails. We generally are going to manage that more by just making the trails harder and better and making sure that they're well-designed and well-built. And really, if that's true, then more hiking is not necessarily a problem because it can harden the trail. It's actually, there as long as you, you do the right things, then that can be okay for a trail. The bigger problem really is just climate change. The research is still being done and will continue to be done on how this is changing, but we're seeing more frequent and more intense microburst kind of storms. We've had 200-year floods in a 12-year period in this area. Um, and all of that, we're definitely seeing the evidence of how that's hitting the trails. And it just, it's any trail that has some design problems and almost any trail does because you're 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 trying to figure out a way to get up and you're trying to move you can't make it perfect just like most roads do too so we're just seeing a lot more damage to trails and the the need to do some maintenance kinds of things on trails that we most of us are kind of lazy about we have to do those things and so it's just it's taking more effort to be able to keep those trails and that, those microburst storms are also leading to more blowdowns too and then that 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 can change the traffic on a trail, which then can then widen a trail and can create other kinds of erosion problems. So that's really what we've been seeing. And particularly, I'd say over the last decade or so, we're just seeing an increase in intensity of that. When you're up here for your sunrise hike or your sunset hike, are you doing maintenance most of the time? Like, are you walking and if you see a trail that needs to be cleared, are you going to clear it? It's more likely that I'm just hiking, but depending on the time of year... And I'm not right now because I'm slightly injured, but usually I'm carrying what I call a blowdown kit just to be able to clear things that have fallen into the trail and things. And so that's just, it's a saw and an ax and a few other things that I can help take care of. We do come out here with volunteer groups sometimes, and I do on my own where it's it's targeted and I know I'm going to spend four to eight hours just doing trail work. But in most cases, I'm taking advantage of the trails and hiking and, and then uh, be bringing stuff along to be able to do maintenance as needed as I go. Do you think it's easy to take trails for granted? Maybe not you, who's working on them and very aware of what's going on, but is it? I definitely think it is. And I think certainly when I was a kid and even recently, probably before I started working for the Trails Alliance and before I started hiking so much where I saw more evidence of it, I just think for people who don't know, and you could certainly look right now with the leaves on the trees where we are here and in, in the rocks, trails very quickly look like they're just part of the landscape. And so I think people think like, this has been here forever. And maybe it happened naturally, right? In some cases, trails almost do happen naturally because there'll be deer trails that then will be turned into human trails over time and they're shared and those kinds of things. So I think that tendency to sort of think of it as a fixed asset that doesn't change over time. It probably never built, it never changes, it never will change. In some ways, in my current role, I don't understand that and it's frustrating. I do understand it. It makes sense that people think of it that way. And I've had people, I mean, I, I think of it as kind of funny, but we're with a, a stone staircase that looks a little rough and it's kind of built and we put it in that they'll say, how did those stones get there that way? It's like, well, it was many hours of very hard work to put those st stone staircases there. But I do understand, but I think that's why it kind of makes sense. People think of it. And also trails don't have a lot of structure. They're built up bigger structures like many things. Just It's a structure that kind of just blends in again to the landscape. And, so the, and, it, and often you don't see anything that looks built. And so unless you've 
we've actually done the work. And that's part of the reason we love to do have our high school trail corps is because they'll suddenly go like, wow, this is really hard work and it takes a lot of time. And this is in it. There is a little bit of a combination of a science and an art to how this is built. And you do need to take into consideration erosion and all kinds of other things. But it's just it's hard work to both build them and then maintain them and rebuild them and all those things. And so I think we are always trying to spread the word about the way that that's true. So you're on Mount Tom most days a week, many times a week. Yeah, every week for sure. And usually three to six days a week, probably. Yeah, because I hike other trails in the area too. What still surprises you about the mountain? I think the biggest thing for me is the changes in the season, but really even day to day. And so I just find that, and it used to be in my younger days that I would only do loops that I didn't like to go out and back. But often even just going on a trail, an hour's difference and changing direction will give you a totally different view. And you'll see things that maybe you didn't see. So it'll be beautiful moss on a stone or it'll be an outcropping of mushrooms that you didn't see going one way, but you see going the other way. And I had a wonderful experience with a woman named Meg Madden who'd written a book about mushrooms in Vermont. And she came out to do a walk and talk on one of the trails here. And I just helped sort of clear the trails. And I had even gone out the day before to make sure the trail was clear. And I had to do a little bit of clearing to make sure it was going to be ready for the group that was going to come out. And I told her, I said, I don't think there are that many mushrooms, you know, on this trail. I'm a little worried that it's going to. And then she took us out and we saw, I don't know, probably a hundred mushrooms. And so it was partly just the way that you look at it, right? And having a different perspective. So it allows you to see things. If you take the time and you go back to a place again and again, you see things that you don't see at earlier times. That's part of what I love about hiking. If you're in the Woodstock area, be sure to make time to appreciate this magnificent mountain. You can learn more about the history of Mount Tom and its trails by visiting the National Park Service website at nps.gov. Thanks for listening to Happy Vermont. In addition to Randy and Norm, I'd like to thank Woodstock residents Allison Clarkson, Don Wheeler, and Michael Green, as well as Steve Mortillo of the Marsh Billings Rockefeller National Historic Park. All these folks helped me research this episode and took their time to speak with me. You can find more stories, podcast episodes, and event listings on my website, happyvermont.com. Also, if you want to say hello, I would love that. You can email me at hello at happyvermont.com. To help support this podcast, leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can sign up to become a Patreon member. Thanks so much for listening. Take care, talk to you soon, and happy 2024.